Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hour number two of Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer joining you from New York City. The Oilers on a three-game roadie uh, out in New York, losing last night 3 nothing. Ilya Sorokin, 50 saves. CBA-mandated off day today for the Edmonton Oilers. They have a team function as we speak. This is Oilers Now. It's brought to you by our title sponsor, World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. This is the ideal place to start your daily vacation. Keep texting us. We'll work our way through them on the Ashley Five Floors text line at 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. And uh, Japanese Village is Edmonton's favorite Japanese steakhouse. Multiple locations in the Edmonton region for you. You can reserve your party today at jvedmonton.ca. As we head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, 780-496-0063, the River Cree Resort and Casino Excitement. Bet on it. And uh, today's Oilers Now headliner for friends at Wilhawk Beef Turkey. I'm going to see Trent Wilhawk and about 60 other Oilers fans in about an hour and a half in an event here in New York City. Um, the Oilers now, roadies, have made the trek to New York City. Wilhawk Beef Turkey. It is the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. We welcome back to the show longtime Toronto-based media personality with Post Media and the Toronto Sun. He's got a new book out, Steve Simmons. Hello, Steve. It's Bob. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing great on what seems to be an incredibly busy day. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, we got the, the soccer going. I'll be honest, I'm sitting in the hotel room. Normally, I'd be watching NFL on uh, on a Thursday, a holiday Thursday in the States, but I've, I'm actually watching uh, Brazil and Serbia play. Of course, yesterday, Canada, our, we had a two-hour bus ride uh, from downtown uh, New York out into Belmont Park, and we were lucky enough to get the game on on our bus to watch Canada's second half. So we got the soccer going on, quiet night in the NHL, even got some NCAA football, if that tickles your fancy. Uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, at least for now, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, but a big story out of Toronto, a sad day. You've been in that market for a long time. Perhaps you could equivocate to our listeners just what Borea Salming meant. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, a name synonymous with the National Hockey League, but specifically with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. Well, I look at it two ways. I, I think what Borea Salming did both for the Maple Leafs and for hockey uh, makes him one of the giant figures who ever lived uh, and ever played. For my money, if I'm voting, he's the greatest player I've seen in, in 55 years of watching the Leafs. Uh, greatest player to play for the Leafs. And, and so he was, you know, to me, he's a top 15 all-time NHL defenseman. And then you look at and what he did and what he went through to become that. When he was the first, him and Inga Hammerstrom were the first Swedes to come to the NHL, uh, he became a target of every team in the league at that time, and in particular of the Philadelphia Flyers, who the Leafs had something of a rivalry with back in the days when we're talking about the big, broad street bully Philadelphia Flyers, you know, the teams, the Stanley Cup years, and they just went at Salming like he was a ragdoll, and they went at him and at him and at him and at him, and he just came back. You know, I'm ready for more. I'm ready for more. And he just got better and tougher and bigger and stronger, and and stood up to it and became one of the most respected players, and for my money, in, in the NHL. I'm not 
very many good Leaf teams. And um, after him came Alf Samuelson and not Alf Samuelson, I mean Alf Dilson and and Anders Hedberg went to Winnipeg, and then other players came over, and we saw, of course, you know, with the great Kent Nielsen and Peter Forsberg, and and of course Nick Lidstrom and and the Sedins, and you know, there's been so many over the years, but. I wonder if if the Borea Salming Inga Hammerstrom thing doesn't work out, you know what happens to Swedes in the NHL. And for Inga Hammerstrom, it didn't work out. He he wasn't able to to play at the level or handle the pressure or whatever it was. But Salming just, you know, he, they went at him and they went at him and they went at him, and he just came back for more. And you know, as you watched him play and progress and get better, it it was something special to see. Yeah, I hated the Flyers back in the 70s. I'll be up. Anybody that's listened to, you know, uh, shows of mine over the last 20 years, and we're in year 12 of Oilers now on 630 Jed. I mean, I loved the fact that Dave Dunn, a former University of Saskatchewan Husky, beat the crap out of the hound dog, Bob Kelly, uh, during, I think, the second playoff series played between those two teams. Uh, I guess that would have been, what, 70, was that 75, 76, I'm thinking? I just, I, I could not stand them. I still want to get the tape. If it exists, I don't know if it does exist, who knows, of the Montreal Canadiens going into Philadelphia in the Spectrum in the preseason in 75 and calling up Shanahan's uh, older brother and all those, you know, Glenn Goldup and some of those guys that played down in Nova Scotia and dressing their 10 toughest guys in their organization and just throwing down with the Flyers. And I've always respected, you know, what Salming put up with. And Bobby Hall, as you know, told he told Anders Hedberg, you don't have to learn how to fight. Toughness is fighting through it. And that's basically what Borea Salming did, Steve. He fought through the crap. Not only did he fight through the crap, but the talent level. I mean, outside of Chris Pronger, who I think is, you know, the best defenseman to ever play for for Edmonton. Outside of Chris Pronger, I would put Salming ahead of every Oilers defenseman. And that includes Paul Paul Coffey. Yeah. And and because because Paul Coffey was one-dimensional, in my mind. And, And... I'll use I'll use Scotty Bowman as an example here because I, I I defer to him almost on anything about that era of hockey players. You know, the most successful coach in in hockey history. He said there were only two players he had to change game plans for because they were individuals. One was Bobby Orr, the other one was Salming, yeah. and the Leafs in Montreal in those days, you know, played a lot and and the Leafs weren't very good. And you're thinking, you have to change your game plan. They had Sittler, they had McDonald, but they didn't have much beyond that. And so when they played Montreal in the playoffs, I think they played them twice and lost four straight both times. Um, but but this tells you how the kind of regard that Bowman had for the way he skated, the way he could carry the puck. He's still the all-time leader, by the way, in Leafs assists for a defenseman. It's a pretty remarkable thing to, to think about. Yeah, I'll take coffee over Salmi just myself. I mean, I, Paul's the second highest scoring defenseman in NHL history. It is, you know, Bobby, I, I, Paul would be the first. Paul's with us on the trip, by the way. I just walked over to him to an event, but uh, I'll tell you right now, like, everybody would defer to, to Bobby or his number one, and Paul has immense respect for you know, the Potvins and the Salmings of the world. Part of the reason we got you on, a large part, it's just timing worked, unfortunately, with the passing of Boris Salmi today. Uh, Steve Stimmons joining us. Uh, you've got a new book out. Uh, it's called, uh, is, just correct me if I'm wrong, A Lucky Life, that's the name of the new book? 
That is what the name. So what's the genesis of how you came up with the concept of, because I'm going to guess that it's a bit of a compilation in terms of your career and some of the great people that you've met in a variety of sports over the last several decades. It's exactly that. It's a compilation of, of 40 years of being, for lack of a better term, being at the right place at the right time. And uh, um, we were sitting around, a bunch of friends were sitting around about the same time when Walter Gretzky passed away. And Walter Gretzky passing away is national news in Canada. It's on the CBC, it's on CTV. And you're thinking, like, who, who's other, what other father could pass away and it would make the national news? Well, Walter did. And we're sitting talking, and, and I mentioned the fact that I was at Wayne Gretzky's last game, and I wrote about him and Walter. And who do you go to hockey with when you're a kid? You know, the first times you're going. You either go with your dad or your mom. And who ties your skates? Either your dad or your mom. And, and all that kind of thing. And so I, I, thought, I thought in my mind, I have this piece that I wrote on Wayne's last game about his last day. He's going to the rink with his dad because he chose to go to the rink with his dad. And I thought that was kind of an important story at the time. And then we started talking about where, you know, playing the game, where were you when this happened? Or where were you when that happened? And all of a sudden it was, where were you when Crosby scored? I was there. Where were you when Donovan Bailey won the 100? I was there. Where were you when Kawhi Leonard hit the shot? I was there. You start thinking, boy, I've, I've had a pretty lucky time of this. I've been at all of these amazing events, and I've been able to cover them and write about them and get to know the people uh, who were involved. And so I thought, I'm going to put a book together. It's going to be a compilation historically of many things that have happened, but it's also a lot of stories about people whose names you may not know or stories you may not remember. And and I think all of the stories in the book, uh, it leads with Gretzky's last game uh, and, and, and the Gretzky-Walter sort of relationship. And the second piece in the book, you know, it's just perfect to be on Edmonton radio for this, is, is about Connor McDavid and Sherry Basson. And, you know, here's Connor McDavid, what's he, eight years into his NHL career? Yeah. We know him to be the best player in hockey. We know him to be the fastest player we've ever seen with the puck. We know all these things about him, but we don't really know him. Like, we've never really, he's, he's never really completely opened up to allow us to know him. And so there's a piece in here where you get to know him and you get to know how a 16 or 17 year old at the time winds up with a 75 year old man as one of his closest friends. And, and it's just the story of their relationship and their friendship and the love that they had for each other. Uh, and, 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 and it, and it's to me, it's 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 the kind of piece. If you read it, you'll learn something about Connor McDavid that you probably haven't been able to learn in, in watching him play the last eight years. And so that's a part of about the book. I think is is a strength. The stories are important, but more than that, they're really people stories, and they're people stories about you know some of the most famous and greatest athletes we've ever known. It's interesting how karma works. As you're probably aware, the Oilers uh, Entertainment Group loaned Sherry Basson a, uh, a fair amount of money um, and when Erie was in a little bit of financial uh, duress, I guess we could say. It wasn't an accident that Chris Knobloch, who, who I brought his, uh, broadcast his games a number of years ago, uh, geez, now it's over 25 years ago or 23 years ago at the University of Alberta. It wasn't an accident that Chris 
you know, who had been unceremoniously dumped at the, by Kootenai because he wanted to interview for the University of Alberta job because it paid three times as much as Jeff Janelle wanted to pay. Um, you know, that Chris ended up coaching Connor and Erie, and Sherry certainly identified with Chris because Sherry understood guys out of Saskatchewan. Chris came from Imperial Saskatchewan. We, we were lucky enough to have Sherry on a bunch of times. I'm looking forward to reading that chapter. So we know, we know Connor, and we know Wayne, and we know Kawhi. You, you mentioned there's a couple other maybe stories that people don't know. Can you, can you maybe sort of highlight a couple of those for us, Steve, that might be of interest for people out there? Well, let me let me ask you this. Do you, do you know the name Bernie Custis? No. Uh, is he the golfer? No, he was a football player. Okay, I do not uh, know Bernie Custis. When uh, okay. when would he have played? Bernie Custis passed away a few years ago. Bernie Custis is the first African-American to play quarterback at an NCAA school. He was the quarterback at Syracuse University. Okay. And imagine at the time that was an enormous achievement. So was and this before or after Jim Brown was at, at Syracuse? Um, I believe it was before. Um, so so Bernie Custis um, Bernie Custis is playing quarterback at Syracuse and his, his roommate at the time is a, is a guy by the name of Al Davis. So you might know that name. Sure, of course. Went on to own, own the Raiders. Only Oakland. Oakland Raiders, whose son now owns the Oakland Raiders. So Bernie goes to the Cleveland Browns training camp. He's so good at quarterback that they want to keep him. But in those days, you can't have black quarterbacks. So they come to Bernie and say, we'll keep you, but you have to change positions. Bernie says, I'm not changing positions. I'm a quarterback, which is a story familiar to Edmonton, by the way, having Warren Moon there. Um, Right. So Bernie won't change positions, and this is how long ago this is. In those days, you could take an NFL quarterback or an NFL contract and sell it to a Canadian football league team. So the Cleveland Browns sold the contract to the closest geographical city to Cleveland. He he went to Hamilton, and he became the first African-American to play quarterback in the Canadian Football League. And... Not only did he do that, but he, you know, got his teaching degree and and started teaching locally in Hamilton, and then became a principal, and now has a school named after him. And all the years that he's playing in the CFL and doing the things he's doing, the, the Oakland Raiders want to hire him. Al Davis wants to hire him because it's his old friend Bernie from from Syracuse, and and he's not able to, and and Bernie won't go because Bernie loves living in Canada, and Bernie's made a life for himself here, and he loves the fact that that you know that he could come up here and play, and no one would say a word about it, and all and all was well, and it's a story of a of a, of a football pioneer who who changed. You know, the life of how many kids who now play quarterback at NCAA schools who changed the, you know, made the CFL accessible to Warren Moon and Conrad Holloway and Tracy Hamm and everybody who's come since. Um, And, you know, it's just one of those stories about a guy, you didn't even know his name, and he spent his whole life in the Hamilton area, Burlington area. When would he he have finished playing? Like, was he before, he would have been after, was or before Bernie Filoni? Yeah, I believe he would have been before Bernie Filoni. Yeah. Um, I mean, Conrad Holloway, because I'm, I'm a... terrible I'm, with years. Yeah. 
I, I'm a huge SEC football fan. Conrad Holloway was the first starting quarterback in the SEC when he was at uh, yeah. Tennessee, and that you know, would have been the seventies, probably. It was. It was. Yes, it was obviously before he, you know, quarterbacked uh, the Rough Riders with George Brancato, who's Peter Shirelli's son-in-law, or Peter was his son-in-law. And it's it's interesting just when when you think back to to how things worked. It's just it's foreign now. Like you you look at it, and you. Know, but hey, Warren Moon coming out. Don the Don James coaching tree leads itself to Nick Saban because Nick Saban worked for Don James at one time, and Warren Moon came out of Washington's program with Don James and came to Canada because he had to prove himself because there was no opportunities for Warren initially in the National Football League. I, I I'll be honest with you, I know I hey I, I know the I know the Eskimo slash Elks history, but I don't know the Tie Cats as well. I'm I'm looking forward to reading that chapter of the book. That's going to be really. There's another one. Here's a name you might remember. Um, do you remember Terry Evanshin? Yeah, yeah, he was a wide receiver. Yeah, Terry Evanshin was a great wide receiver in the CFL, played in Calgary, played for some other teams. And the Alouettes. Uh, yep. After his career was over, um, had a horrendous car accident. In the car accident, um, he, he lost his memory completely. Um, and, and, uh, he, after about five years, I think it took about five years, they were suing, him and his wife were suing to the insurance company to get the appropriate funds that they believed they would de- deserve from the accident. So he was awarded, I don't know how many million dollars at the time. And I decided I'm going to go out to see Terry and talk to him about, you know, getting this award finally after all these years. Can you imagine going into someone's house and they pull out the photo album you know, one of the photo albums on the wall on the, and can't on the remember. bookshelf. He doesn't know who his kids are. Yeah, he doesn't sad. know anybody in any of the photos. Every day he has to write down um, what he did, where he went, who he talked to. So maybe tomorrow he'll remember where he went and, and what he did and who he talked to. And it's uh, it, it was the most heartbreaking thing. I think I, one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen. Um and he was such a delightful man, and his wife was such such a nice, warm person. And, and you're thinking of, imagine what their lives have been like. And he's talking, he's learning football again, watching yeah. on television. But it's completely foreign to him. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't really, and he's trying to tell people that, yeah, I was a football player. And, and he opens up to me about what this has been like for him Steve. in the piece. Steve, one and final it, one for you, and I'm going to put you a bit on the spot, and it's just... Is it hard? Let me ask you: Is it a cop out, or is it harder to win in Canada? Because I mean, look, you're a columnist in Toronto. You've at various different times. If you're a good columnist, you're going to upset somebody. If you're a decent radio host, there's going to be there's lots of people are going to disagree with your takes on things. But is there a different degree of pressure? If you could maybe answer in a minute or less, a different degree in pressure playing in a market like Toronto, or for that matter in Edmonton, than in a nondescript U.S. market where hockey's number four or five of the food chain in terms of the importance of the relative teams. What do you think? I grew up in the business. I grew up working in Alberta and working in Calgary. And from 1983, I believe, until 90 or 91, a Canadian team either won the Stanley Cup or played for the Stanley Cup. Yep. And that includes, you know, the five Oiler wins and, you know, the Montreal winning and Calgary winning. Yep. And and Vancouver played in the finals in, in 82 and 94. Um, the best columnist 
duo in Canada that I've ever seen had Terry Jones writing for the Calgary Sun, sorry, Edmonton Sun, and Cam Cole writing for the Edmonton Journal. Uh, they were as good as it gets. Do you think they had any impact on whether the Oilers won or lost? But is it different today? That's I don't question. believe so. I don't believe yeah. so. I, I, that's, just think, that's I look right now. Whose team's good enough to win? Is there a team in this? The Vancouver Canucks should have won in that team with the Longo. They should have won in 2011. Yeah. But, but how many teams have been good enough to win Stanley Cups? Really, look at the roster. I, you want to blame people? Blame the GMs. Blame the owners. Fair comment. You know, fair comment. Like, like I mean, know, I'm, I'm you look at the, You no. look at the, I'll use the Oilers as an example. The five Oilers teams that won, and they were different, some of those teams, but the Calgary Flames only won one, 89. That Calgary Flames team uh, should have won three. They were good enough to, you know, there's Hall of Famer upon Hall of Famer won that roster. Like, that was a great football team. Oh, sorry, great, great hockey team. But they, uh, they only won one, um, and, and so that's how hard it is to win when when it's a team hard. is hey, that great. Run- I don't mean to be rude. We're running up against the clock here. We got to plug the book one more time. And where can people get it? The name of the book again? It, it's a lucky life, and yep. uh, you can get it in. I presume most bookstores. Uh, you know, chapters Indigo, that whole thing, and you can get it online from Amazon or. Costco or wherever you happen to buy your books. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm really proud of it. And it's, you know, if you want to know about history, the past 40 years of Canadian sport, it's all there for you. And the beauty is you don't have to read it in order. You can just pick it up at any page and and start from that article and go from there. And it covers all, it's not just hockey, it's all sports and Olympics and all kinds of things that I've been lucky enough to be at. Steve? Steve, thank you for your time, all right? Thanks for joining us on Oilers Now. All right. Enjoy it, Bob. Thank you. You bet. That is Steve Simmons, A Lucky Life. That's the book. It's 128 in Edmonton. We'll head off to a global news weather traffic update. Eileen Bell back with John Shannon when we return on Oilers Now for Legacy Heating and Cooling. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.